and I get along better than it may appear. <laughs> With her sitting over there and me sitting over here. Hi, sweetheart. <laughs> you know, uh, when we went off to Bible school, uh, we already had three children, five and under, under, under the age of six, and she was seven months pregnant with our fourth child. And when I announced to her in July that I believed the Lord was leading us to go to Bible college in August, she said, how did you get that idea? I said, well, I, I've been praying and this is what the Lord is leading us to do. And she said, well, I think you need to go and pray some more. <laughs> If she were standing here and talking, she would tell you that there's only two reasons that she went with me. Number one, she feared God. She wasn't sure what God might do. But the second reason was more practical. She said, I don't know what man in his right mind would want a woman seven months pregnant with three children under the age of six and 33 years old. So I thought I better just go with you. <laughs> Yeah, I'm serious. That's exactly what she said. And, and, and truly, truly, if the Lord would reward anything that's been done in our years of the ministry, she gets it. Because there is no way that we could have gone through what we did in those years, and even since then, without, without the way that she has been such a help. So I'm very thankful, very thankful for my wife, and very thankful that we could be here with you. Um, you know, it is, oh, oh, you know, it sounds like I'm desperate to preach. You've got to travel this far just to find a place where you can. <laughs> it's not quite like that, but uh, we really are indeed very, very uh, privileged to be here. Now, we were able to see pictures, photographs in Brother Flick's presentation in our missions conference to the things that God has done here. But there's nothing like being here to see for yourself. And to be a part of what you're doing. May I say with all sincerity, happy anniversary. Now, truly, I hope it is a very joyous and happy occasion. It is uh, something to celebrate that in 11 years, God has done what he has done here. This is quite miraculous. Truly, truly. So it's quite a privilege. And I'm getting a, a, an opportunity to meet some of you and even have some time of fellowship with you. We're enjoying ourselves. Uh, we got to shake hands with the mans as they came in. The first time we met was 1996 in Mayerton when I was here. And so what a privilege to be able to catch up. He didn't recognize me. I didn't recognize him. <laughs> We've changed a little bit in 27 years. I think the giveaway was the microphone. <laughs> I was very zealous back in those days. He reminded me in one of the services that I was preaching that I threw a chair. I told him, I said, those days are behind me now. <laughs> Turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. You say, well, we were already here in Sunday school. I promise you it's a different message. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4. I want to read the passage again because there are some of you that have joined us that weren't here earlier. Uh, so you'll have some understanding of the context of what we're going to see here today. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. He gave, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, gave some, and these are gifts to the church, apostles, 
some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Ephesians 4 verse 12. For what purpose? First of all, for the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry, notice the perfecting of the saints really precedes the work of the ministry. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and then of course the result of those two, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. And then the text we saw this morning, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him. In all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working, in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now, after, after we see in verse 11 the gifts that were given to us, that is the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and pastors and teachers, the first thing mentioned is the perfecting of the saints in verse 12. The perfecting of the saints. And, and, and saints are to be perfected in order to do the work of the ministry and in order for there to be the edifying of the body of Christ. You notice in verse 16 at the end, unto the edifying of itself in love. In other words, the members are the ones that are providing the supply, the work, the part, the, this, these joints working together so that the body itself, you see, can, can be edifying. Every joint. This, in order for every joint to do its part, the saints must be perfected. The perfecting of the saints is a process. You don't come into faith in Jesus Christ as a perfected saint. You come in, as we saw this morning, as a child of God. And the perfecting of the saints, you've got to get this, involves the cooperative effort of pastors and teachers and saints. So I want to say that again. It, the, the perfecting of the saints involves the cooperative effort of those gifts to the church, pastors and teachers, and the saints. We live in an age now of technology where children of God believe they can be perfected by sitting at home and listening to sermons and watching live stream or recorded videos. And I'm not saying that those things are not helpful. I've benefited. Because there are, that I have access. To work that other men have done. It's been beneficial. I'm thankful for that. But that is no replacement for this. And saints are not listen perfected. They may grow. But they're not perfected. Unless there's a cooperative effort. Between pastors and teachers. And saints. In our lives, in our homes, in our churches, we must work toward the perfecting of the saints. This is not sinless perfection. I'm not talking about sinless perfection. We're talking about functional perfection. Okay? 
Job was the perfect man for the things that he endured in his suffering. Noah was the perfect man to build the ark. But they were not sinless. They were just fitted for those functions. So this is functional perfecting. A preacher in the United States, Paul Chappell, said, Salvation is a miracle of the moment. Sanctification is the process of a lifetime. And I would say the perfecting of the saints is a process of a lifetime. We continue to get better at what we do. As he said, I've been pastoring for 31 years. The people who are, uh, that I pastor now are thankful that I'm not the same pastor I was years. I can, I can tell you that the first 10 years of messages that I preached, I've torn them up and thrown them all away. <laughs> now there are five stages, I believe, to this process of perfecting the saints. And these process, this process, these are not, these are not like linear stages that where you go through one and then you know you've accomplished that and graduated and then you go through the next and you've accomplished that and you've graduated and then you go through the next and you and so forth it's not a linear process of progression where you do one and and then you begin the next and end and begin the next and end it is it is a continual cumulative process cumulative process that is you begin one and then as you begin the next one you continue the first one and and add to it the second and then continue both the first and the second as you add to it the third and so forth until you're doing all five and you're doing all five well okay so it's cumulative and so what we want to do is we want to talk today about this process of perfecting the saints. And in order to do that, we're going to have to look at some other passages of Scripture in the Bible. We've certainly seen a great deal in this passage this morning. But we're going to look at some other places in the Bible to see what are these stages through which we go and through which God perfects us as saints in the work of the ministry. And so if you will, uh, you, you'll remember... I hope, the, the verse, verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints. Pastors and teachers, verse 11, for the perfecting of the saints, okay? That's our text. That's our theme. But now we're going to depart this passage and go to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2. In Proverbs chapter 2, we see the, the first stage of perfecting the saints. All right, to be perfected, the saints must, here's the first point, receive the words of God. Not just hear the words of God, receive the words of God. Look with me in Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. <clears throat> My son, if thou wilt, there they are, receive my words. Do you see that? My son, if thou wilt, receive my words. Now, when you receive those words, notice there's lots going on. Hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom, and apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge, and liftest up thy voice, if thou seekest her as silver, and searchest for her as hid treasures. That's not a casual 
involvement with the Scripture. That's not just reading and checking your calendar that you've read your Scripture for the daily devotion. That's not just attending a service like we are. That's being actively involved in the process of hearing and then receiving and then hiding and then inclining your ear and applying your heart and crying after and seeking and searching. Through what? My words. My words. It's a very active involvement in these words that are here. They're very, very much your whole being is involved in getting these words into you. And this, this, is, not, this is not for Bible students in the institute only or Sunday school teachers who are going to be teaching or people who are being discipled in the discipleship class. This is you. This is I. In our daily lives, constantly digging, searching, receiving the words of God. You read and you hear the words of God and you begin to receive them. And you do this all the way until the day. Some of you may be familiar with, the, with this name, Robert E. Lee. Okay, yeah, Civil War. Southern states. If you know your geography, that's, that's Texas, southern states. The education of a man is not complete until he dies. The education of a man is not complete until he dies. We never get, so I've been pastoring 31 years. I still have yet much to learn. Uh, Brother Flick and I were visiting last night before supper about some things in the Bible and we touched on some subjects, and I'm looking forward to those times of fellowship that we will be enjoying in the next few days while we're not here involved in preaching service. Because there's some things that he's speaking about that I want to I I delve into. I think he's seen some things that I would like to learn. Gee, uh, uh, children, children in the children's ministries here, sometimes they'll learn a song. I think it's one of the first songs that you learn. Jesus loves me, I know why, for the Bible tells me. So it's not because they learned the song, it's because they learned the Bible, that they know that Jesus loves me. Their, their knowledge of the love of God comes from receiving what he said. He says, is that true? Yeah, because when Paul was writing to Timothy, he said, from a child, thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation as a child. You know, there's a unique thing about this King James Bible. It's amazing to me how much of this five-year-old children can memorize and repeat. It's also amazing to me how disobedient they can be. But <laughs> so just because they've heard it and memorized it doesn't mean they know how to do it yet. But, but, they're, but they're beginning to receive. Paul spoke to Timothy of his unfeigned faith, meaning it was not hypocritical, it was not fake. It was just like his mother's, just like his grandmother's. In 1 Samuel, when, when Samuel became acquainted with the Lord, the Bible says the Lord re revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. That's how you get to know God. 
Uh, This book is is a kind of book where when the Lord knows your heart is inclined to receive what he has to say, your ear is inclined to what he has to say, you're desperately seeking what he has to say and receiving what he has to say. You're going now in this first stage of perfecting, perfecting the saints. And I'd have to say that you don't really get going into the other stages at all if you're trying to pass this stage. It doesn't happen. In our homes, in our churches, here on the mission field, children's ministries should principally be about teaching the words of God. I know that teaching them involves activity involves crafts, involves object lessons, involves skits and games and various things. But the purpose of all of those is to get the Word of God into the heart of the child, right? So that they can receive those words, so that they can know those words. I mentioned to you this morning that I had trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior when I was 15 years old. But I didn't read the Bible. And so uh, it was not until, and that he mentioned the age 32, that I then began to read the Bible. It was really a a, a funny thing. When my wife and I married, I I hate to confess, we were not interested in the spiritual things. She had blonde hair. (laughs) She still does. That's not dyed. That's, you know, that's, I I was like, wow. (laughs) But if I catch there, so, so. But you know what she gave me? This, I know this sounds strange, but the Lord does these kinds of things. You know what she gave me for a wedding present? A King James Bible. You know what I did with it? I put it on the shelf. It was pretty. Very nice black leather cover, gold, you know, print, gold edge pages. And I was uh, teaching Sunday school in a Methodist church, and I was teaching out of a new American standard version of the Bible. But I wasn't reading the Bible. I was listening to cassette tapes, and then I was regurgitating to the class that which I heard the other preacher say. So, so it was in one ear and out my mouth, but it never got in my heart. Well, my life was not changing. And one night in September of 1986, I, thought, I said this to myself. It was midnight. I said, you know, if I'm going to teach this, I ought to at least be reading what it says. Now, that, that may seem like a, a, a crazy thing to you, but... <laughs> In the Methodist church, that wasn't a crazy thing. I mean, I was just like, wow, okay. So, so I said, okay, I ought to be reading. So when I reached on the bookshelf, the Lord honestly directed my hand to that King James Bible she gave me, and I pulled it off the shelf, and so I said to the Lord, okay, wherever it falls open, that's where I'll read, right? So, so you heard the pages peeling apart because of the gold edge, right? <laughs> right? So I held it up like that. Wherever it falls open, that's where I'll read. I turned it like this. Do you know where it opened? Psalm 119. <laughs> I was just, wow. I'm going to be here all night. <laughs> I kid you not, and I told the Lord, well, I said that I would read that chapter. I will read that chapter. Verse 9, verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? Shkoom. Verse 11, thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. I mean, in no time I was on my knees, weeping. God was beginning to show me my life from his perspective. And I'm telling you, it was not a pretty sight. 
Three hours I was there on my knees reading through that chapter slowly, prayerfully, tearfully. And I said to the Lord at the end of three hours, I, I was so ashamed of what I had seen in my life. I honestly did not think that God would let a man live past that. Confessed everything that came to mind. But I said to the Lord, if I, if I wake up in the morning, we're going your way, not mine. I have run this off into a ditch. I don't want to run it anymore. And here I am. Here I am. 37 years later, talking to you. But you know what the Lord did then? He began a process of reading. My, me, I began a process of receiving the words of God. And I'm receiving the words of God today. I've, that stage has never stopped. But I will tell you this, and so will my wife. Don't ask too many questions because there are things she can say. <laughs> I am not the man I was. The, the, what you're seeing now is a work of perfecting the saints. God is changing this man. All right, so that's, that's the first thing. Now, here's the second. You've got to have that. In order for the perfecting of the saints, you have to receive the words of God. Here's the second thing. You have to know the fear of God. You have to know the fear of God. We continue in the passage where we are. <clears throat> Read with me, beginning in verse 5. Then, so if you've done all that, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord. And find... The knowledge of God. I must confess, I think the real problem with a lot of people today who are vacillating in their walk with the Lord Jesus Christ is they don't really know God. They know about God. They don't know Him. They're saved, but they don't know God. Uh, Thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord, the Lord giveth wisdom out of His mouth, cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. He keepeth the paths of judgment and preserveth the way of his saints. So if you want to know the fear of the Lord, you start by receiving his words and then you must know, you must know and understand the fear of the Lord. That's where you must understand and find the knowledge of God. Why is that so important? Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning. It's the foundation. You know, I feel so... We were out by the university yesterday passing out tracts. I, I feel very sad for them in there. You know, we get mad because the university changes. What do they say? They're woke or whatever. I feel sad for those people there because if there's no fear of God, there's no knowledge of God. If there's no fear of God, there's no knowledge. There's no wisdom. Uh, they, they, can, they can make a living, but they don't, they don't know how to live. It's very different. All right, so through the fear of the Lord, we begin to know God and we begin to understand God. Solomon said to children, to us, fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Let me explain something to you about the fear of God then. I, I think it will help you because if you don't have the proper fear of God, 
you don't really have the proper knowledge of God. He said you'll understand the fear of the Lord and have the knowledge of God. Correct? Let me ask you a question. Do, do you have law enforcement here that, that catches you when you're speeding? Or, or, when you, or, or, or running? A, I was going to say, I don't think you do. I don't, I don't think there's anybody that will get you for not stopping at a stop sign or running a light. Or Because I see everybody. Uh, everybody. I mean everybody. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yeah. I think I think I'm beginning to understand some of your some of the usage of the words in your language. Stop means yield or just slow down a little bit. <laughs> Close. Close, okay. In our in our country we have uh, law enforcement and on the highways where people really like to drive fast. They drive black and white vehicles. So they're, you can distinguish them a little bit if they're parked on the side of the road and you see a black and white vehicle. You're, you can assume that's probably somebody that will pull you over and give you a ticket if you're driving much faster than the speed limit. Okay? Now, let's just imagine for a moment that you're driving above the speed limit sufficiently that if, if you passed somebody that was going to enforce the law because you're speeding, they would pull you over and give you a ticket. If you see that vehicle before they can check your speed, what will you do? You brake. And why do you brake? Why do you brake? Because you don't want a ticket, right? Because you don't want to get caught, right? Now, you're, you're out of radar range on the other side. What do you do? <laughs> Look at that. I love it. Just put your foot on. Lead foot. <laughs> Let's go, right? So there is a fear involved in that. And the fear is getting caught. The fear is getting the ticket. Correct? Correct? That's the way most people treat the fear of the Lord. And that's not the fear of the Lord. That's the fear of the consequences. Right? That's not the fear of the Lord. That's the fear of the consequences. Now, if you only fear the consequences of sinful behavior, here's the problem. God is loving, kind. God is forbearing. God is good. If he lets you get away with sinful behavior and you don't suffer the consequences that you think you should suffer for sinful behavior, you get the idea that God is okay with your sinful behavior. And that's not God because God's not okay with sinful behavior. Are we, are we together? Make sense? All right. So, so let's go back to... Let's go back to you speeding again. I mean, because you did a great job. I break when I see the law enforcement, and I stomp on it when it's time to go. So you're, you're good for this. <laughs> Let's say that you fear the authority that made that law. In other words, you don't know why the speed is that, limited to that, that level. You just trust that because somebody made that law, there must be a reason why it's safest to drive at this speed. Perhaps there's something in the road perhaps there's a turn perhaps there's an intersection or whatever the case may be you just I fear the authority that made this law I'm not concerned with the consequences I'm going to drive the limit I'm going to drive the limit now you go by the person that can enforce the law in black and white what do you do 
You wave. Nice to see you. Catch that fool behind me, please. <laughs> who's, who's on my tail? You should have seen how quickly he was driving up here. Right? <laughs> you know, nice. Have a nice day. Good to see you. You go. Why? Because you're not breaking the law. And the reason you're not breaking the law is that you're not concerned about the consequences. You fear the authority that made the law. And so you submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. That's 1 Peter chapter 2. All right? So, so listen, if you fear God because of who He is, if you fear His authority, His goodness, His power, His majesty, His, His supremacy, you do what He says regardless of the consequences because you fear God. Now, when you fear God that way, you're getting to know who he really is. Not what you think he is because what he's allowing you to get away with. Do you understand that? There are a lot of Christians who live way out on the edge because they're able to. We have yet to see Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. You don't know whether you're getting away with that or not. You just think you are because you haven't gotten a God ticket yet. Right? Yeah. So you need to fear God because what he said. Now, you don't understand when you fear God, if he says something in that Bible that you're supposed to do, you do it because you fear his authority, not because you're concerned with the consequences. You do it because he said so. And once you start doing that, he lets you in on a little bit of the knowledge of himself. Now you get to know who he really is. I had a young man ask me the other day, he said, how is it that a God who is supposed to be good can let bad things happen like they do? You know what his problem is? He doesn't know God. Once you get to know God, that question is not so hard to understand. Good people go through bad things, but they don't go through bad things without God. David said, yea, though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no evil. Why? For thou art with me. And when you know God is with you, and he knows you're going to obey him, and you're concerned about what he said, you and he are going to get along very well, even in bad circumstances. And you need to know that. Oh, somebody will get a job, and they'll come on Wednesday or Thursday night here, and they'll say, I have a praise preacher. God is good. I got a job. Well, what happens when you lose that job? Is God still good? He is. And when you know that, then you know, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are called according to his purpose. But if you're only looking for the good things in your life and you can't tolerate the bad things, you still have not been perfected as a saint. Right? Are we doing okay? Or, or is this going okay? We get it. Okay, so, so we're talking about perfecting of the saints, right? Would you like to be, would you like to be perfected? You'd like to be perfected? Well, then you're going to have to receive his words. You're going to have to know his fear. All right? Which obviously then, because of some of the things I've said, leads conveniently to the next point. Philippians chapter 2, please. Verses 12 and 13. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. This verse now will make more sense to you if it hasn't made sense to you in the past. 
Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. So what do we do now? We're going to re- review what we're going through. So we're talking about the perfecting of the saints, and the first phase is to what? Receive His words. And the second phase, as the first phase continues, is know His, help me, fear. Know His fear. Know the fear of God. All right? All right? Now, now, here's the third phase. Obey the will of God. Obey the will of God. Let's look at it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always, help me with the next word, please. Obeyed. Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. People always have a tendency to be more obedient when the supervisor is there. But he says, much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation. With what? Fear. Fear and trembling. People say, Fear is a reverence for God. They say that so reverentially. You know, the fear of God is reverence for God. Reverence for God doesn't make you tremble. (laughs) I have to say this about the fear of God. It's an interesting thing. Some things that cause fear in your life, right? Some things that cause fear in your life cause you to run from the source of the fear. Boom! I didn't do that to you. I did that to a lady in our church one time. She screamed so loud, I got scared. I, just, I, mean, was, I was getting ready to call the, the ambulance. You know, I was just like, ah. That happened between my wife and I the other day. I always called her to let her know I'm coming home. And for some reason, I, I neglected to do that. And she's coming out of the laundry room to take something to the trash when I'm walking in. And she saw me. And she just screamed and screamed and screamed and screamed. And I was just, what? <laughs> I know I'm not the same man I was before, but it's that bad, really, or what? You know? So when she finally calmed down, I said, what was that? She said, when I saw you and didn't expect to see you, I just screamed and couldn't stop until it was all gone. <laughs> Fear causes you to run from the source of the fear, except the fear of God. It causes you to run to the source of the fear. His fear and his love are connected. It's an unusual thing about that fear. All right, so he says, when he says with fear and trembling, I tremble before God. Have you ever trembled? But that's appropriate because that's fear. And then he says this, for it is God which worketh Where? In you. Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So he's got something he's trying to get done in you. He's doing in you. And what he wants you to do is obey him and work what he's doing on the inside out onto the outside. And when a woman is in subjection to her husband in 1 Peter chapter 3, and he's not being obedient to the word of God, she wins him when he sees the hidden man of the heart. Not the outward appearance, but the hidden man of the heart. So God's in you doing something, and when you, when you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling and are obedient to him, that which he is doing on the inside becomes apparent on the outside. Obey the will of God. You know, as you, as you grow in the scriptures and you grow in the fear of God, God's will for your life becomes more apparent. 
Uh, I have some people that will ask me, uh, I, I'm struggling with God's will for my life. I said, well, let's talk about how you're doing on receiving his words and fearing him. Much easier to discern when you have those two things that are in place. So often we, we're not really concerned when we ask that question about the will of God as much as we are the plan of God. Those are not the same thing. Right? The plan of God, that's kind of what's going on. But there are many things concerning the will of God. Right? That he's working on the inside uh, that, that you may be not, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See? It's a transformation process while you're obeying Him. You're not obeying the world. It's, it's interesting. I told you a little bit about my wife's consternation when I announced we're going to Bible college. You should have seen what she was saying when I told her before that that I had been called to preach. See, when you're president of a bank in a small town, uh, you're, you're, you have status. And, and your wife has status. All right? When you resign to go into Bible college, you have no status. And you have no money. <laughs> All right? So, so she could see what God was doing in my life, it was becoming apparent that, that we, something was happening with these words in my life. So one day, I, I, I was certain that she would not want me to say, I've been called to preach. I was certain of that. So I was trying to be more coy. And I said to my wife, I said, what would you do if uh, I just kind of decided to make a little career, a little, a little career change? And she said to me, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking about preaching. She said, if you, if, <laughs> I'm not kidding. If you, if you, if you go into preaching, I'd hit you in the head with a skillet. She, she cooks with cast iron skillets. And she, you were serious. I was like, oh boy. Oh boy, this is going to be tough. Because I got God on this side who I don't see leading me to go into preaching. And I have my wife on this side who I do see. And I also see the consequences telling me you shouldn't do that. <laughs> right. Man, I was worried. I was praying. I, we didn't bring up the subject again. I'm praying. You know, I'm, oh, boy. Six months later, I'm in a meeting like you are today. I'm in a meeting. And uh, the preacher's preaching, and that night, it was, there was no question. God was all in that room. I knew it was time to resign the bank, and I was scared to death to tell her. We had two of our children, and we went to a zoo in San Antonio, Texas. Called, it's Breckenridge Park, and the zoo is there. There were a 1,000 people at the zoo that day. There was a beautiful ice cream shop, little quaint tables and everything. So we looked at all the animals, and we went, I'm waiting. And I got her a big ice cream. And we... we I said, by the way, honey, <laughs> I'm going to resign the bank, go into the ministry in a couple of weeks. But see, I have a thousand eyewitnesses. <laughs> and, and she doesn't have a skillet. <laughs> I, I can tolerate the ice cream. <laughs> yes. And she said to me this. She laughed and she said, oh, I thought it was going to be next month. God had done something, but I had to obey God. 
You see, it's, it's not always convenient to obey God. It, it can be very difficult. But, but if, you, if you're going to be perfected as a saint, God has to know that he can trust you to do what he's telling you to do. And if you're not already doing what he has shown you to do in the scripture, how can he trust you to do what he wants you to do that's not clearly stated in the scripture? You know, we have missionaries that come through our area and they're going to be a missionary in some foreign country and they're going to, they always say the same thing, lead souls to Christ, disciple them, uh, start a Bible institute and plant churches, plural. They always say the same thing. So I ask them one simple question. How many people have you led to the Lord here that are in church where you go? You know what the common answer is? Zero. I said, well, if you're not doing it here, how in the world do you suppose you're going to get it done there? And God is the same way with us. If you're not obeying what I clearly show you to do, how can I trust you to do what I want you to do that's not clearly stated? Right? I mean, you can't read in your Bible that Bevan's Welder is to be the pastor of Bible Believers Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas. That's not clearly stated here. But I'm clearly doing what God wants me to do right now. Right? So, so let's, do the, let's do the review here. First of all, you've got to receive the words of God. Help me with this. You've you, you got to remember this when I'm gone. You know, we've may, we may have had a good time here. If it's not doing you any good out there. Right? So, so you got to receive the words of God. And you have to know the fear of God. And you have to obey the will of God. Right? That's perfecting the saints. Uh, the principal way that God gets done something in your life is through the effectual working of the scriptures in you. As you obey those scriptures. Uh, Paul... Paul, I'll just read this for you. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. Listen to how beautiful this is. He says this. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is the word of God, which effectually worketh in you that believe. That starts happening when you receive the words of God, know the fear of God, and obey the will of God. Okay? All right. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, here's the next phase. I told you there are five. You're getting happy because we're more than halfway done. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, look at verse 1. Now, while you're turning there, I'm going, to read, I'm going to read something to you. I want you to know what Paul said to another church. He said this. Paul said, be ye followers of God. But what did he say in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1? Be ye followers of whom? Me. Even as I also am of Christ. All right, if I'm, if I'm, I'm a pastor, right? If I'm moving in the right direction and I'm following Christ, if somebody slips in behind me, they'll be going in the right direction. 
if I'm following Christ and they're not certain how to follow Christ, then slipping in here, they'll be following Christ because I'm following Christ. Is that right? So if we're, if, let's say you come to me and say, oh, preacher, you're not preaching till Monday night. Let's, let's go take a hike. I've got this beautiful place I'd love for you to see. Come go with me. And I go and my wife goes and we're traveling with y'all and we're going on this hike. All right. Let's say my wife is like, wow. Just because she's blonde, she wouldn't be prone to do that. It may really be something <laughs> worth, worth seeing. <laughs> wow. And so we've gone on now and she looks over and, and she's not following me, but I'm following them. She's going to be lost on the trail, right? If she can't see you when you make the turn and the next person's following and I'm following and then she's following me, she can't see you, but she can see me. We're still going in the right direction. We're still following you, right? Okay. So that's what Paul said. You got to, he says, I want to the Corinthians. I want you to follow me because I'm following Christ. So here's the fourth phase. Follow the man of God. Follow the man of God. I'm looking here at something that is marvelous. There's a man that God sent here from the United States by way of Malawi. Right? And nobody here was following when he got here. And suddenly now, 11 years later, look at all this. I mean, we are meeting here, right? He's here. Follow the man of God. Uh, a good friend of mine in the States said this, you'll never be over the people that are under you unless you're under the people that are over you. God gave pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. And some people are reluctant about this involvement in a church with a pastor, particularly these days. But listen, wives, are you not to follow your husbands? And children, are you not to obey your parents? When, when I, so I pastored a church in a small town, Beeville, where I had been president of the bank. I, I pastored a church there that we started for eight years. And then when I left to go to Corpus Christi, Corpus Christi is in, so if you're looking at a map of the state of, well, here. You want to grab the other side of this? Is that possible? Okay. So this, this, is, uh, this is the United States, right? This is Florida. This is Mexico, right? So this is the Gulf, this is the Gulf of Mexico. Corpus Christi is right here, all right? Up in the states, up here, is a place called Green Bay, Wisconsin. You probably know of the Green Bay Packers, okay? We started Bible Believers Baptist Church as a mission of First Bible Baptist Church in Green Bay, Wisconsin. My pastor is Pastor Harley Keck. I had already pastored for eight years. I had already run a bank. Which qualifies you for nothing. <laughs> okay. Except to give advice to people that don't want to listen to you. It, pre it, pre it really prepares you well for the ministry. <laughs> <laughs> I was on the phone with him every week as we were going through a mission because I had to follow somebody. Do you understand? A man of God that God used. He's 82 years old today. He's no longer pastoring, but he's still in the church that he pastored. He's teaching the young married couples. I still call him. 
We're going to do a pastor's conference for pastors in the United States to come for three days in, in July. He'll be one of our speakers. Because he, the Lord has allowed me to follow a man who was following Christ, even though I'm the pastor, you see, of a group of people. God blesses that. I've seen that. He has helped me immensely. I can just assure you as a pastor that our folks are blessed because I had somebody like him to follow. Uh, without belaboring this point, Paul said to Timothy, The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. All right? So Paul gave those to Timothy. Timothy gives those to faithful men. Faithful men give those to, to people who will be able to teach others also. There are, what are there, four or five generations of people in that. But they're, they're like ducklings, one following the other. Do you see that? So God uses that for the perfecting of the saints. Uh, we have a missionary that we support in Brazil, Joel Dunbar. He was in Pastor Keck's church in Green Bay, Wisconsin for 15 years before he went down there. Chad Wells, a very successful missionary in Papua New Guinea, was in Pastor DeMichael's church, Treasure Valley Baptist Church in Meridian, Idaho, for 17 years before he went down there as a missionary. Brian Boatman, a man trained in our church in Corpus Christi, is now pastoring the church that I pastored in Beeville. He was with us in our ministry for 15 years. I was 35 years old when I went to Bible college. 46 years old when we started Bible Believers Baptist Church. And sometimes men that are 25 years old are like, we got to get going and set the world on fire. You might do well to follow a man of God. I didn't mean to bust your bubble, but I thought I was going to be like the world national independent Baptist pastor of the biggest church in Africa by the time I was 30. Get over yourself. You might still be sweeping the floor. <laughs> I, and I don't mean that to be, to, to, I love the zeal of young men. That keeps me very interested in what I'm doing in the ministry. I, I appreciate their zeal, but I do know that we have two men that are in their mid-30s one will be a pastor, one will be a missionary, and a man that's 42 who is now starting another ministry out of our church for Spanish-speaking people. Yeah. But they get with me every week, and we sit down and we go over things every week. They have a pastor, and their pastor is helping them do what they do better. Follow the man of God. Follow the man of God. God gave you this. Listen, I've been in a lot of places in this world where men have planted churches. I say planted churches. Men don't plant churches. Jesus Christ said, I will build my church. He planted. He uses men to get that done. What you're seeing here in your church here, this does not happen all over the world. This is a very rare and wonderful thing you have here. God's using this man. Let God use this man in your life. It's okay. It's good. Are we all right? Yeah, it really should. So we're going to go over and then I'm going to show you one more, one more, right? Let's review. The stages. Receive the words of God. Know the fear of God. Obey the will of God. Follow the man of God. You say, what if he's not following God? Pray like crazy, he gets back in line. Seriously. Seriously, seriously, seriously. I tell you, 
it, it strikes me also with that fear and trembling that there are people depending upon me. You, he is depending today that I have gotten with God and gotten a message that will help the people he's pastoring. The last thing he wants is a man to come in here and make a mess. Yeah. And I, my prayer is that I can be a confirming witness to the things that he's already shown you so that out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word will be established and this will be a help to you. Yeah. He didn't pay me to tell you, follow the man of God. <laughs> no, this is not an advertisement. It is a methodology established by the Lord. Right. We have too many people today, I say, that are staying home. They are pastoring themselves in their own places and they're off track. Okay, Ephesians 2.10, Ephesians 2.10, that baby said to us, preacher, it's time for you to stop, <laughs> so we'll be mindful of the time. The baby said, that's all I can take, I have to go, so we'll be mindful of the time. Ephesians 2.10, uh, we love 2.8 and, and 9, for by grace are you say, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. But what about 10? That's how you get them in. But what do you do with them when they're here? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Final phase. Do the work of God. Do the work of God. Do the work of God, the work that you are to do. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works. But that's for the benefit, as we saw during Sunday school, of the body. Do the work of God. You know what was wrong in the Southern Baptist churches as soon as somebody got back in the day, back in our country, a person would get saved. In six months, they're teaching a Sunday school class. They don't know God. They don't know the fear of God. They have not even had time to read through the Bible one time and already there. Because they felt like if I can get you occupied in some part of this ministry, I can keep you. And more importantly, I can keep your money. Right? But, it, but, but what we really want for people who are doing the work of God is to receive. We'll go through it again. The words of God. Know the fear of God. Obey the will of God, follow the man of God, and then do the work of God. See? Once you do that, it's not that he's so special, but now Jesus Christ can be the head of the church because everything is cohesive. Everybody is in line with God. If everybody is in line with God and he's following what the Lord would have, then God can get everything done here that he wants to do, and you won't have some man trying to build his own ministry under the authority of another man because that guy can't get up his own group. We've seen that many times in the States. And rather, what you have now is you have everybody working together as one body for the sake of the ministry. That's how you go from the perfecting of the saints to the work of the ministry is by perfecting the saints. I'll say a few, couple of last little things I want to say, but don't, don't check out on me now. Some people say we're getting close to the end. I'll zip up my purse, right? No, don't, don't check out yet. We're not done. Saints must do the work of God, not the work that they want to do for God. Saints must do the work of God, not the work that they want to do for God. 
There are a lot of people who want to do what they want to do, not what God wants them to do. Those are not the same thing. And they can be a problem in a ministry. It doesn't work. God has set the members in the body as it hath pleased Him. He has something He wants you to do. You're not fitly joined when you're doing what you want to do, not what He wants you to do. We, uh, we say, God can get done more through you, right, than you can do for Him. Can you imagine, can you imagine today if my foot were hanging on the side of my head to help hold up my glasses? Or if my, if my belly button were in my, the place of my eye, and my eye were in the place of an ear, and my tongue were down in my boot, you'd say, man, that guy's a freak. Well, that's what it's like when you're trying to put yourself in the body somewhere you want to be and not where God wants you to be. It, the, the, the church is freakish. All right. We're going to turn to one more passage of Scripture, Proverbs chapter 25. And I want you to see now that you've seen what you've seen to understand a a little more about this verse. Because I'm going to say, for you to do the work of God the way God wants you to do it, you have to be faithful to the place where God puts you. You have to be. And the problem in our generation is people want to, it's, it's like this on Saturday. Preacher, if we don't have anything better to do on Sunday, we'll see you. That's not how all this works. It, 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 to the rest of the world, you say, I can't be involved in all those other things that you have planned for me because I have some place that I need to be. Okay? Because I'm a member of a body and, and my, my, I'm a hand and the feet and the eyes and the mouth are expecting me to be there to do the part that the hand does in that for the work of that ministry. To do the work of God. I can't be over here at some league game or something here or there or whatever people get involved in and be accomplishing in that ministry the work that God has given me to do. I have to be faithful. Notice, notice what Solomon said when it's unfaithful. And, and, and look, at what, look at what he illustrates this with, Proverbs 25, 19. Confidence in an unfaithful man. Proverbs 25, 19. Confidence in an unfaithful man. Something's wrong with, his, is, something's wrong with the body. Is, is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. Do you understand? When you're not faithful in this process of perfecting the saints, you are to the body a hindrance or an encumbrance. You're like a broken tooth or a foot out of joint. Do you see it? Do you see it? I don't want to be a broken tooth. I've had one of those. I was eating, a, uh, we were in uh, Ohio. I was preaching in a church. They had a fellowship afterwards and uh, there were eight people at the table, a nice young couple across the way. I'm eating a Greek salad. The olive, the kalamata olive had a pit in it. I didn't know that. And when I bit down, it was with, you know, lettuce and tomatoes and feta cheese and all the wonderful things. And I, I broke my tooth. I, I just turned to my wife and I said, oh, I just broke my tooth. Well, the young lady across from me heard that. And she goes, oh, does it hurt? And I, I said, no, but I got a big hole in my tooth. And she goes, well, and she was trying to console me, right? She said, well, look at it this way. Frankly, at your age, you're lucky to have all your teeth. (laughs) I was consoled. I was humored, as you are, but I was consoled, yeah. I am. I'm lucky to have all my teeth. 
we should, we should be here as all the teeth and not broken. Do you understand? Because, because the perfecting of the saints is for a purpose, for the work of the ministry. Let's review one more time and we'll, we'll close. We have five stages to these. Nothing ever stops. But it starts with first receiving the words of God. And then secondly, know the fear of God. Thirdly, obey the will of God. Fourth, follow the man of God. And then fifth, do the work of God. Let's pray. Fathers, thank you so much today for an opportunity to be instructed in the Scripture. In something that is so very, very helpful to us. May we do this well. For Jesus' sake, amen. amen. Let's all stand. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Heads bowed and eyes closed just for a moment. Pianist is going to play softly. And as you know, we don't have the room right now to allow you to come forward. We talked about it last week. If you have a chair, you have an altar. And if the Lord has spoken to your heart, any of those five steps, perhaps you need to take a moment, say, Lord, I'm, I'm not doing so good at that step, but today I'm going to make a commitment to do better. Some of you haven't been saved very long. Maybe just pray today, God, help me. I want to get started. And I'll, I'll patiently wait for you to get me there step by step maybe there's some others here you've been at it a while those steps are missing maybe they're not consistent I trust the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart helped you to, to hear and to see exactly what, what's going on in your life Some have taken a knee. Some are taking a moment there in their chair. How do you need to respond to that? You know, you know where we're really going to see the response? Next week. That, that's when we'll see it. Next month. That's when we'll see the fruit of this. But what we just got, that'll help you for the rest of your life. Do you know that? Those five steps, I doubt you'll forget them quickly. That will help you the rest of your life. In just a moment, I'm going to pray and close us. We'll dismiss. I want to just say two things preempt that. Number one, if, if you're here and, and you're not sure that you have eternal life, we'd, we'd love to help you walk out of the building today with that assurance. So if you're not sure about that, as soon as we're done, you can come find me, find one of the leaders around here. We'd be happy to chat with you about that. And then secondly, I just want to let this linger in your mind. We're just getting started with this meeting. I hope you have a wonderful afternoon. Enjoy friends and family and fellowship. Maybe get that nap you've needed all week. And then I want
want you to come back tonight, 6 o'clock, ready to receive the Word of God. Father, we thank you this morning. You have helped us, Father. You have given us, you've given us something we need to know, something we need to do. Father, I, I've enjoyed spending time with you in the house of God this morning. Father, thank you for showing up. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for honoring your promise about two or three being gathered in your name. You've come down and met with us. And we're looking forward to that again tonight. Continue to speak to us, God. Work on us. We need it. We want it. As we dismiss, Lord, might we do so with your hand upon us. Bring us back safely tonight, ready to hear more. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much. Enjoy your afternoon. We'll see you tonight, 6 o'clock.